Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for everyone, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Reverend Dr. Amy Peeler. Amy is Associate Professor of New Testament at Wheaton College, as well as an Associate Rector at St. Mark's in Geneva, Illinois. So she's a a part-time pastor and a full-time professor of New Testament and a dear old friend of mine, Amy and her husband, Lance, uh, just lived down the hall from Mandy and I in seminary, as well as during graduate school. So we spent... uh, Almost a decade together in New Jersey uh, in our 20s and watched a lot of movies and our uh, our eldest children were born down the hall in the same hospital uh, just two days apart. So uh, there, she's a dear old friend and I've been wanting to have her on the show for a while and just hadn't made the time to make it work and lucked out to get, uh, get time to work out. So I'm so happy to have her on for her first time. Uh, just so you know, she's the author of a number of books. You might want to look them up. You Are My Son is a technical work on the book of Hebrews. Then she has a book, Hebrews, A Study Guide, co-authored, uh, which would be a real accessible text on Hebrews. She is a major scholar of the epistle of Hebrews. Um, she has a forthcoming book uh, entitled Mother of God uh, that may be of interest to you. We actually discuss that a bit uh, later in the in the podcast. So, All right. So our text this week is Second Peter. Chapter three, verses eight through fifteen a. Second Peter, chapter three, verses eight through fifteen a. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And while you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along, so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this conversation with Amy. All right, so we're looking at Second uh, Peter. Let me make sure I got the right. Second yeah, Peter, uh, verse uh, chapter three, verse eight through fifteen a. So, would you be willing to read the passage, and then I'll say a word of prayer to get us started? Does that oh, sound good? Yeah, yeah. All right. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved: that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are about to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs> Let us pray. 
Father, I give you thanks uh, for this day which you have made. Give you thanks for this hour in which we have been gathered, sent by your word, made flesh, Jesus Christ, uh, to study the written word, bears witness to him. We give you thanks for this moment in which you are present. Father, we dare to ask that you would grant us your spirit by which we might be aware of your presence in the moments to come, and that we might uh, seize this task and be authorized and equipped for the task of studying your word, and all to the glory of your name. We ask this for ourselves, Amy and I, and for all those listening in across time and space, that we might be uh, encouraged and equipped in the bearing of the word. By your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Amy. So first time guest, long time friend. Great to have you on. Uh, so just a reminder for some of our listeners or an explanation for new listeners as well as new guests. Uh, <laughs> the basic format we follow is after reading and praying, we kind of do a sort of classic observation, interpretation, application kind of pattern with a brief break between. So observation, just kind of, what are you noticing? What's jumping out at you? No thesis, no focus, quick break, and then zoom. And that's kind of zooming in. Just what do we see? And then the second segment is interpretation, kind of what are some questions that we can debate and discuss? And there we can kind of just go wherever we want. We can zoom out and connect to other passages or theological themes, whatever we want. And then the third segment is what we call sermon starters. And that's just like, okay, where might you go with that? What are some ideas, you know, initial thoughts, angles, uh, hunches to, to kind of get the prime, the pump for uh, sermon prep? Nothing, you know, we don't have to write a whole sermon in the last segment, but <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of the gist, you know, 15, 20 minutes each segment. And that's basically it. So sound fun? That sounds great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What a great resource. <laughs> Thanks. So what do you notice? What's what's grabbing you today as you read this text afresh? And and that is such a wonderful point. Maybe this is true of other literature. Like if you're in a scholar of English literature, you notice something every new every time you read persuasion or whatever. But I think this is absolutely true of, of God's word that it's freshness. Uh, the, the spirit opens our eyes to things anew. So I've read this over a few times. I was looking at it last night, but even as you read it this morning, some new things kind of left, left out to me. And that's for those of us uh, who have the privilege of devoting our lives to studying and teaching scripture daily. Um, this is what I tell my students every day. I'm discovering something new, almost mm -hmm. uh, the Lord is opening my eyes to new things. So um one thing that jumps out to me immediately is this language of striving in 14. I tend to be a very performance oriented kind of person. And so <laughs> connect with some level of my personality, but then I'm struck that he says, strive to be found by him at peace. Um, ha, 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 ha. It almost seems paradoxical, like work really hard to be relaxed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I think that might tap into the way in which Peter imagines the the birth and continuation of this community totally by God's grace and God's action. So yeah, you're um you're being mindful of what kind of person you want to be. You're aiming, you're striving for that. But that striving, when you're striving in the Lord, is actually a place of deep peace. Uh, that could be something really interesting to explore. And in my readings last night, I didn't even quite notice that. It didn't strike me. So 
Yeah, isn't that fun? There's something new every time. Mm-hmm. Text is always fresh. But <laughs> I was I was struck in verse 13, the new heavens and new earth phrase mm-hmm. from you know that I associate with Isaiah yes. and with the end of of Revelation of apoc- of John's apocalypse. Yeah. And I honestly forgot until this morning that that phrase appears other than the book of Revelation, the New Testament, you know, I mean, you know, new creation appears in, in, in Paul a few times, but this new heavens and new earth, you know, according to his promise, which I imagine is a pretty direct, uh, allusion to Isaiah, but exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm struck here. I'm, I'm doing a double check. Yeah, it's it's quoted verbatim here. It's referenced in Revelation and also referenced in Matthew eight nineteen. So there's ah. a gospel connection as well. I forgot that. I'm going to look yeah. at that right now. That's not really so. That might be silly. a thing to explore. Let's see. Yeah, I'm flipping. Matthew nineteen. This is great radio, right? Listening to people flip pages. Eight. Matthew yeah. eight nineteen. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. It looks like. Oh, okay. I thought you said eight eight nineteen. I'm like, why would it be an eight? Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. right. Eighteen. You said. No, nineteen eight. I apologize. Nineteen eight. Oh, don't apologize. I'm the one who. Got hmm. it. No. Oh, this 19, may be a different portion of Isaiah six sixty five seventeen. So I'm just looking in my concordance here, which is an action I often do. If there's a citation of an Old Testament text, I'll go back and see what other New Testament authors cite it. Ah, okay. Um, and for 65.17 and for 66.22, both of which are being referenced here by Peter, there's a reference back to Matthew 19.28. And Jesus said, truly I say to you that mm-hmm. all those who follow after me in the something when... Yeah, at the renewal the son of, of the man. Thing. Renewal, yeah. that okay. So I think that that on the throne of glory. Yeah, so not new heavens, new earth, but the same. But the renewal, the, the of, all renewal of all things. Yeah, the promise to his followers. Interesting. That, that well, that's actually that language of renewal is actually a helpful, just little counterpoint to remind us because th- there's a little bit of fire and brimstone here, Absolutely. and to remember that that for these listeners in a persecuted context, which seems likely given some of what Peter has to say, the thought of the the fire and brimstone coming to judge, you know, these bad people who are persecuting us, that, that's a word of hope, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not used, it doesn't seem to be a, because he's talking about waiting uh, to be at peace, you know, he's, uh, he seems to be suggesting like, God's going to make things right. Yes. Uh, so, that, so look, judgment is something to look forward to, not a threat to get them Right. Um, although there is, it, it is a, it is a, no, I mean, it's not threat. It's promise. He calls it promise in 13. Yeah. yeah. That, that also came out to me in 12. So they're waiting for, but also hastening, uh, the word that's so cool. Pseudo, like we're speeding toward, we want this to come. It, it strikes me that I don't know. I think we've probably talked about this is similar in our growing up, but um, the thought about Jesus's return and rapture, I always experienced as a scary thing. Like yeah. I wasn't anxiously awaiting the return of the Lord. I was like, that sounds frightening when all these things go crazy. But to see that Peter and his community are anxiously awaiting this day. And that is totally a good reminder that they were people in need of 
justice. Like they, they were looking for the restoration where they would no longer be oppressed and persecuted. And so they're, they're looking forward to the day of the Lord with hope. And they want it to come faster. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love this phrase. And maybe you could help us uh, with the language. I noticed that in, so in 12, you've got prastakontas, kai, uh-huh. spudantas. I don't pronounce right. it right. No, that's great. In verse yeah. 14, you have prastakontas. Uh-huh. And spudasate. Right. Now it's a, it's a, it, there's a different letter in the stem, but I assume there's some there's, relation they're, they're there. They're related, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. was the word I think was you were you were translating as striving earlier in fourteen. Uh, that's right. That's how. So I'm looking at uh, the NRSV, and and that's how they've done it. Yeah, uh, striving yeah. or be diligent or other things like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But then that, I like striving. Yeah, yeah. Do one's best is another definition suggested. So, uh, what's nice with striving is it links or it links it a little bit more with the the hastening, right? Of right. verse twelve, you yes. know, yeah. Because um, it's not just you know be a good boy. Mm. Uh, it, it is a little bit of a racing, yeah. toward. An, okay. uh, a goal, like, you know, you're a runner, like you said, you're, there's a little bit of a, and so that waiting, but striving, Yeah, I don't know how to do that. Right. You know, right. no, that's like a- you said, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a goal oriented mm-hmm. go getter. So you, you link to the, to the striving and hastening. And yeah. I really like waiting as my kids <laughs> like to say, they're like one time this summer, my my son, we were at a picnic and my youngest, Paul, he's six now, which is crazy. But he like said, he was running and someone says, do you like to run? He's like, I like to run. My daddy likes to sit. And he ran off. <laughs> they're like, yep. <laughs> no, but there's but the vision, the vision here is. For, for all of us in that, like, yeah, we're uh-huh. all being called to both and to figure out how to keep that, that balance. Yeah. Which then links back up to this strange stuff from the opening lines of a day is a thousand years and vice versa and how he's not slow, but rather patient, Mm -hmm. which has the kind of meaning of slow to anger. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the phrase slow to anger is translated with macrothumia in the, in the Septuagint. And so, yeah, you can almost hear him say like, well, yeah, he's slow in a certain sense, but it's slow to anger. Right. He's, he's not quick to, to, he's giving us a chance and that's a good kind of slowness, not slowness as in like just, being lazy or something like that, I guess. I don't know how you would take that, what he's getting at in verse nine there, but. Yeah. Like a, um, a graciousness really in, uh, you no, know, if, if people are starting to ask the question, why has it been so long before Christ's return? Uh, the answer is because God is giving as much time as possible for people to hear and respond. So that's really an act of great. Like it's almost an, a close attention to the human situation rather than like, Oh God has turned away. He's not paying attention to what's going on. No, he's so very attentive to what's going on. And he's desiring that, that all come uh, to reconciliation, uh, to repentance. Right. Cause slowness as some would think of slowness mm, that, you yeah. know, there's the kind of slowness that God is not, that the mm-hmm. Lord is not to be more precise. The Lord is not, He's not the kind of slowness that, as you say, is just he's busy doing something else and he's slow in returning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's really striking to me as well in my own journey of faith. I realize I've, I've grown in patience and maybe that's just by virtue of becoming an adult, but I think I had a particular urgency as a young person. Like I must respond to God right now. And I must, everyone must come to faith right now. And I do believe we're called still to an urgency to this hastening, but I've also learned that that God takes time. Like there's planting of seeds that take time to develop and allowing people's faith to mature is not a bad thing. Sometimes rushing that process is actually detrimental, uh, but allowing that, that to, yeah, God's at work on, on those people. Like let's be patient because God's being patient. What a deference to the human condition, right? I could say like right now turn, but he said, I'm going to let you grow into this. Yeah, and verse 15 is almost a little inclusio back to the opening by saying, count on the patience of the Lord as salvation, right? So we're being yes. invited to recognize it's, it's no, it's, it's the same word used for as some know, as some think of slowness. So now he's saying to think of his patience as our salvation. His patience is for our good. Right. You know? Right. Hey, well, that's already a great start. Yeah. Uh, it's like old times geeking out on the Bible with Amy. This is great. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break and yeah. let's take a quick break and then uh, zoom out a little bit and see where we want right. to go with this. Great. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest Amy Peeler, and we're looking at Second Peter, uh, chapter three, verses eight through fifteen a. So let's uh, uh, let's zoom out on this. We can. Is, are there particular maybe issues or interpretive questions or sort of exegetical problems? I mean, I, I just recorded it already, but you, you'll get a kick out of this, Amy. Like, uh, it'll be two weeks from this episode for our listeners. But just had Ken on, Ken Shank, and yeah, and who's a fellow Hebrew scholar alongside Amy and, and a friend, a mutual friend of ours. But mm-hmm. anyway. And regular on the show. He's on the show very oh, often. So, okay. um, but we went off in the middle segment, like we, it was on Romans 16 and we just talked about all the, the, the doxology there. We just talked about all the textual criticism problems, you know, so we can talk about whatever you want. It's like, okay. there's no agenda here. So what, what kind of interpretive, okay. uh, questions really interests you that we want to talk about, uh, yeah. that this, that this, that this passage raises? This is one of my favorite to teach. Uh, you know, by the time in the semester you get to the general epistles, sometimes you feel a little rushed, but I always look forward to this day. And I, and I teach this passage in particular. There's only a few issues I can draw. Are you serious? Book, but this is always the passage I teach. And, uh, and I have a great, so this is, this is fun story. I have a great PowerPoint that I worked really hard on. And it's like the letters appear of my points and the text of second Peter three. And then to change the slide, they all burn up in fire. So the words go, <laughs> and it's just cheesy. I bet you enjoyed that. <laughs> and I totally love it. It's just one of my favorite days. But, that's so you. And the students are like, oh, that's so dumb, right? Like, but they, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but this, this, um, 
kind of idea of, well, the world's going to burn anyway. I mean, there's mm. no kind of better text for this than 310, right? The the heavens will pass yeah. away, the elements yeah. will be dissolved with fire, the earth and everything that is in it, uh, that is done on it will be disclosed. So I think this is the one of the most inter- interesting interpretive issues of this passage. Um, if people kind of imagine And maybe this was true in a generation past and less so now, but I still think it's part of Christian understanding that, you know, we're off to a better world and this world is going to burn anyway. So what does it matter? Um, That, that is really, as I've studied the new Testament, not a fitting picture of what scripture teaches us. And I think this is one of the best passages to press into that. So can I call attention to a few things that I think are really interesting? Please do. So uh, this language for, um, uh, it's a good question to ask. What is being dissolved? So it talks about the mm-hmm. element, the elements there, and and that's a very weighty term in the New Testament. That's a stoicheia. Sometimes that's used as like the elemental principles, or it can be used to think about. This. Yeah, Paul uses it quite a bit, right? Alongside yeah. things like powers and principalities sometimes, yeah? Exactly, especially in Galatians. That's a really active term. So um, it doesn't seem like it's just the the physical things, but it's more like the structures of the world, which are fallen. Uh, so that's a good question to consider. What is actually being dissolved? And then I think this term here at the end of 10 is so helpful. Uh, the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed, not mm. eliminated, not destroyed, but revealed for its true identity. I really think the image of fire here is not so much about destruction, complete destruction, but about uh, refinement or illumination. Like if you think of also mm. a passage in Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, all of these things will be tested with fire to see if they are wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones. So there's like this yeah. refinement. So right? there is some things that are burned away. The the right. the element the elements would be the 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 the, the straw and rubble, as it were. Right, right. In parallel yeah. to Paul. Okay. Yeah. But then, as you called attention to at the beginning, uh, where he he ends with the affirmation of Isaiah is that after this happens, the promise is that we'll have a new heavens and a new earth. And I love that last phrase. Actually, as, as you read, it was it really hit home. And righteousness is where righteousness is at home. Uh, mm. This is where white righteousness will dwell. So. There's a locatedness. There's a, even a materiality, I dare say, about a new heavens and new earth. It will be different because all of those structures uh, that are oppressing these Christians, the sin that they deal with in their own lives, that's going to be eliminated. But what remains is good. And it's not just spirits, lights floating in the sky. It's earthly still. Uh, it's a dwelling place. I think that helps in how we think about of course, creation's care and stewardship and our ethics of our bodies and all of these things are really rooted in this passage, which might seem on the surface like, oh, it's all just going to go away. But this is actually one of the best passages to think about what is it that endures? And that's the platform from which Peter builds his ethics. What kind of people are you going to be? Are you investing in the things that will endure? Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. So I had a, this connects with us because I, I wonder if this was even a matter of these matters of, of the end were 
clearly already a bit of a place of interpretive complexity, mm-hmm. even in the early centuries, right? I mean, even even the fact that he's having to say one day is a thousand years is kind of signifies that some people are like, uh, I thought you were saying it was going to happen right away. And it's like, well, to be honest, we kind of did. Uh, <laughs> and then, But now that we, you know, now that we've thought about it a little bit more, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. but there is, and connected with that, I believe there might be a minor, not to geek out on no, textual criticism for, yeah. for an hour, but uh, for those who like textual criticism, uh, stay tuned for that Ken episode uh, coming up. Uh, but uh, there was one little weird thing. My footnote in – I've got an ESV out here, and it's okay. got footnote for verse 2 will be exposed. And it said some manuscripts have will be burned up. And I was trying to glance at that in my Greek uh, New Testament here, Wait, my N28. Verse 10, you mean? I thought you said verse 2. Verse 10. Did I, if I said two, I misspoke. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's this, this, uh, last word, you know, right. Eurathesatai. And there's a little note here that some manuscripts have a bunch of different words, right? Uh, some have Eurathesatai. That's, that's got Aleph and Bait and, which is what Vaticanus and I can't remember what B is, you know, I'm sure. No, You're B is pro. Vaticanus and, and that's uh, Sinaiticus, the Aleph. Sinaiticus is the Aleph. Right. But then some have, you know, Kata, Kata Ka A Setai. Yeah, which is. Um, and then there's also a not, will not be exposed or not right. be found. So there's yeah. a bunch of like little, which I don't want to, I don't want to obsess over getting the exact text right as much as to say, I mean, you've presented evidence and theological argument given what the rest of the New Testament canon has to say, to say that the the exposing of our works seems to fit the larger pattern. And I would agree with that. Um, but it's actually interesting to think that the first couple centuries of Christianity, there may have been actually some differences of – you could see how – different uh, manuscript traditions could emerge through over, because this isn't just a a matter of a a letter missing. It's a totally different verb. Right. Right. And I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's that's really fun. I mean, this is a a fairly, you could see a Gnostic, right? The more Gnostic tendency in early Christianity wanting to say, Oh, it's all just going to burn up. Right. Um, But even I wonder with that because I think the presence of those burning terms makes sense. They are there, yeah. Of the previous phrase and the stoicheia will be cow samana, the, the stoicheia will be burned. So it makes mm-hmm. sense even like at the level of a scribal error that they could. That's true. Haplography, they could repeat that. But even if it is like an intentional. Uh, this is a better, re- I still think the issue, like when we think of burning and, and really I'm, I'm kind of thinking about uh, engaging with Hebrews on this. Our God is a consuming fire. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a rhetorical high point in the letter. And sometimes people read that as like, God's just going to burn you to a crisp. But uh, if we think about a sacrificial or like a mm-hmm. testing of, of gold, I think burning can in and of itself have the sense of refinement. Um, so I don't know that that one has to be totally a different picture than what would be said by 
being found, which is the Hurisco one, even at Aphantheisatine, like Finidzo, that will be shining forth, it will be revealed. So I actually think there could be congruence in all of those options. Yeah, Um, I could see that. But it's it's definitely in there. I mean, this is a well, it's just a total mess. I've got one, two, (laughs) there's like so many different. Yeah. I mean, it's this huge footnote. In my apparatus, um, which at least reveals at the very least, I I think you're right. I think, uh, whichever term it is, I think the overall picture can be, can be ironed out, but it's at least evidence of, um, I I like to, I I might have an agenda here and I didn't realize it until you pointed that out (laughs) that I, I am inclined to highlight as much as possible. The fact that there wasn't like, there wasn't like these you know, a couple hundred years when Christians had it all clear and together and then it all went wrong. It's like, no, like the very, like the debates we get in over interpreting the text were already happening when the texts themselves were being written and copied. And so, um, that can have a, it's possible that people were confused by the implication of, Mm -hmm. of what this meant, you know, and, and that confusion can then make a, just a scribal error more likely too, you know? So. Yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent point. That's very true. Because I think if we have that picture of, oh, they had it all together. We pine for this bygone era that actually never existed. Yeah. 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 (laughs) They they had to figure out how to find unity within disagreement and we have to do the same. So I think that's a healthy reminder. Yeah. (laughs) The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in some texts, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I think we watched that video, didn't we? watched that movie together in seminary, remember? Sure like as a throwback? Yes, <laughs> to go- I'm sure that, I think we had a big party and watched that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which again, I mean, I, I have a colleague here at Wheaton that is totally my parents' age. He's a man of the 70s. Like uh, he's still uh, a premillennialist, like pre-trib rapture. And he's so wonderful to remind us that well, there was some uh, extremes in that era. There was also just this vibrancy of, we really want mm-hmm. to get the gospel out to people. Uh, the, we really want them to hear the good news. And and that too is something to be valued. Um, I don't think you get people into the kingdom by scaring them to death. I don't think that's incredibly effective and long lasting, but um, that, that Christ is surely returning. I mean, our, my tradition, we say that each week, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Mm-hmm. And that's both promise and kind of like, are you ready to meet the Lord of the universe? Um, it, it is, it is an invitation as Peter is doing here to look at your life. Um, it's also such a great connection with uh, so many other parts of scripture that Paul uses this phrase in First Thessalonians. And uh, this is in the Gospels when Jesus is talking about the return of the Son of Man. So it's a great example of Peter, Second Peter, as being what many think is the last book of the New Testament, drawing upon what is shared tradition already. Yeah, so let, let's just pause on that just for a moment. Fun fact background, the, what's some of the evidence that this is coming last? I know obviously the, the 15 B that we skipped over, there's this very explicit reference to Paul's letters that indicate that half the New Testament's already written and he's being talked about as one who has, you know, passed. 
And is it also just the nature of this? Uh, I mean, verse eight makes sense as a kind of corrective to a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is that a, is that a relatively, is that a kind of majority view among scholars that second Peter would be, or is One it, of the is, latest. it's not majority. Yeah. Yeah. But even as you say that, I'm, you know, there are times that you stop and reflect on what did I kind of imbibe as a student and have carried on maybe uncritically. Mm. Um, so it is definitely an, a, a major assumption that Pete, second Peter isn't by Peter, maybe not even first Peter, right? There's a lot of authorial questions about these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, could a fisherman really write something like this? And it, um, I have become convinced that I think the historical arguments for actual apostolic authorship of these letters, as well as the pastoral epistles, I find those more convincing. Um, I, I do think the church only canonized texts that they knew had a direct tether to an apostle. So part of that assumption of lateness is tethered to the idea that maybe Peter didn't even write these. I see. Um, yeah. But even if you do assume Petrine authorship, exactly what you've pointed out, an awareness of Paul's letters, a growing kind of uh, uh, critique of the delay of the Lord's return, and just uh, kind of him passing on his sense of the faith continuing. So I don't know that it would be safe to say, uh, I think maybe I spoke a little bit too boldly. I guess I would want to say, we don't know for sure that this is the very last, but this would be in the group of later texts maybe joining along with second Timothy, one of Paul's last letters. And if according to widespread tradition, they both were martyred in the mid to late sixties, then we, we could kind of pin this around that time. Yeah. So that at least puts it in the later of the apostolic items. Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's clearly, it's clearly a text written for a new round of questions, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, right. And an increased sense of persecution and how long you can hear the psalmist, right? How long, how long is this going to go on? Right. right. Um, hmm. And the thousand years obviously is a, an allusion to, to, to Psalm 90. So right. you can sense this. Um, there's some passing of time at the very yeah. least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's fun to, I mean, it's, it's maybe uh, too cute, but as a thought experiment, and just for readers of the text and preaching the text, even to kind of even picture Peter and Paul in prison in Rome under Nero, and maybe Paul being beheaded outside the city. And that has just happened. And you can almost, you know, it's a month later and Peter's writing a letter back to churches that he's been involved in. You can kind of, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, speculative, but to picture what it would be like. Mm-hmm. To pen words like these mm-hmm. when you're waiting for your own uh, and, and and knowing like Paul's a Roman citizen. He has a little more pleasant uh, <laughs> quick and over. Uh, whereas yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the cross and this is going to, mm-hmm. and the, and you sense even hastening that waits there where there's this, you could see how he'd want it to be. He kind of would want it to be over yes. uh, just waiting for it's awful. Yeah. Uh, that's his own kind of personal end, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah. Which really does, I mean, all of these ideas, thinking about what the future will be like, really does set this into good conversation with Revelation. I mean, I think that's the 
the, the questions that those communities are asking, how, how long will we endure? And of course, John is saying to all of them, keep enduring. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be long. My, my middle one has been one and we read books of the Bible with each of them and he wanted to do revelation. So we've been reading revelation now for several weeks <laughs> and um, which is delightful with the nine-year-old, the questions that come, but just kind of sitting in that book for a while, I, I'm, I'm struck by the connection there of, yeah, they are ready for their struggles to be over, ready for, to have this victory. And so even Peter's words that, you know, God's uh, patience, it's for the good of people who haven't responded yet. That actually is really hard for us Christians who have yeah. already responded. That really is a, a thinking of others as more important than yourself there. So it'd be better for them just to be over. Yeah, because it's about the restoration of all things and not just about my own personal salvation. Right. Right? So the verse 15, so right? The patience of our Lord is salvation. You know, uh-huh. not my salvation, maybe, but it is yeah. salvation, uh-huh. uh, the salvation yeah. of all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is good. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. Cool. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amy Peeler. We're looking at Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 18, excuse me, 8, verse 15, 15a, 8 through 15a. Now, this is, I don't always mention, we use the, the lectionary to select our texts, and I don't always, I don't always reference the lectionary stuff because some, a lot of our listeners, that's not necessarily their tradition that they use that. But instead of me just picking my favorites, I thought it'd be best to use some, some, uh, external authority, our curriculum, as it were. But you are a, a ordained priest and, and an assistant rector, I guess. I don't remember what your title that's, is. That's right. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. At a local congregation, and and so this is this is, I believe, week is it two or three? I think it's week two. The epistle reading yes. for Advent, week yeah. two of Advent. Cool. Um, so I'm immediately struck by just the, you know. Preaching in Advent and these tensions uh, yes. of like historically Advent preaching is meant to be kind of the, the the coming the second coming of Christ, right. but right. the the Christmas uh, delight and and I feel like you're like and it didn't occur to me till this moment, but you're like the perfect person since you like to start listening to Christmas music in like August, <laughs> and yet you're also like okay September first. <laughs> But you're also like this, like old school, like, you know, liturgical snob who wants to like respect the advent. So uh, you probably are like the perfect embodiment of these, of this tension of how to approach (laughs) preaching in December, you know, uh, any general thoughts on that before we talk about possible sermon directions? Yeah, no, that's a lovely question. And, you know, our mutual friend, Matthew Milliner, he and I teach together a class on Mary, and we do that typically in the fall semester. And um, he's just so Hmm. offended that I listen to Christmas music so early. So actually, his influence has kind of pushed it later for me. Um, Oh, don't give in. Don't give in to the snobs. (laughs) But no, I, I, and I'm, I'm working on a project right now. I have been, and God willing, it will be finished this calendar year on incarnation and Mm. just the way in which, and I realize this is a truism in some sense, but I have been awed over and over again of the fact that God coming in the flesh changes everything. 
It, it mm-hmm. reorients the universe. And, and so the way in which preachers throughout the month of December can um, tap into the power of what the first coming is, I actually think that sets us into a place to also consider the revealed power of the second coming. So I recognize mm. that the first and second coming are, are, are different in that he was lowly and unknown and he gave up his glory. But yet the way that connects with this idea of patience too. the seed mm. was planted then that said God has and will guarantee the changing of all things. And it begins there with the with the birth with the conception of a baby. Um, that that to me has uh, been offered un uh, invaluable resources of reflection. So I think there's a way in which preachers can avoid the cuteness, avoid the kind of kitsch of Christmas, acknowledge the setting that hey, the whole world we're all involved in this, and these are beautiful and joyful things to celebrate. But let's not forget the offense. Let's not forget the paradox of God mm. coming as one of us, uh, and that God will come again. And and really, I mean, Peter's, I think, tapping into this here. Like we will be changed, and so as he and his resurrected body now reigns, we are too going to be refined so that we can dwell in righteousness in this new heavens and new earth. So we look forward to our own radical renewal uh, in in this month. Um, which does call us to self-assessment. I mean, you know, the, the period of Advent is meant to be a many lint uh, that you give up some things that you prepare your heart. I think it, I think self-evaluation uh, can be a good thing. It can ease into self-flagellation. You don't beat yourself up. Mm. You have been redeemed and valued by God, but it's a good time to pause and reflect. What are my uh, priorities. How am? What am I striving for? That may be an excellent question to consider because I think there's a lot of striving during that time in particular. Striving for perfection. Striving for a certain mm. appearance. Are those the things that believers should be tra- striving for? Huh. That's good. I, I you mentioned paradox and striving, and it makes me wonder if this paradox of Christ's first and second coming and their difference in unity can be a sort of how much this would come into one's preaching or just be background uh, thought sort of is a, maybe is a bit of the ground, the deep, the deep grammar of this paradox of, of hastening and waiting, you know, Mm -hmm. because the waiting, the patient waiting is recognizing that the one who is to come has already come, but came in this mode of, of humility and hiddenness. And so this is the way God works. Mm-hmm. So we should expect that there's a hiddenness and a humility even in the outworking of the time now, because we are still in that time. Mm-hmm. And yet also the hastening, like if all I think of is this scary dude's going to come and like fix everything and I might be on the wrong side of the history. Right. Right. But when I look back and think mm-hmm. the one who is to come is the one who already came. Yeah, precisely. Then of course yeah. I want him to come sooner yeah. than later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, while also respecting his time. So I wonder if there could even be, especially given, depending on the kind of tradition that one is in and the kind of people you're preaching to, to be able to even link to that, to even make it explicit. We're both looking backward and looking forward yes. in Lent. We're yeah. looking back to Christmas and looking forward uh, to the new heavens and the new earth. Right. And those two meet in us as we both 
mm-hmm. wait and strive. Yes. You know? Yes. And okay. maybe some of y'all need to strive a little more. Maybe right. some of y'all need to wait a little more. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that works against an extreme view in which I think of that silly movie, Talladega Nights, where he wants to pray to <laughs> eight pound little Jesus. Right? <laughs> Sorry, that's very low. I think I saw that movie in the theater with you. <laughs> That's maybe what made me think of it. Yeah, sorry. Um, but that sense of like, oh, little baby Jesus is so warm and nice and cuddly, and like second coming Jesus is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But to, to stress the, this is one and the same. This is the Lord of whom Peter is speaking, the revelation of God to us, uh, who is both judgment and mercy. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, yeah, to, to keep that unity, I think, can help us avoid some of those extremes on both ends. Yeah, Holy Spirit as dove and Holy Spirit as fire. Fire, yes. yes. Both peace and purification. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, that's great. I, go ahead, go ahead. You're gonna, oh, you said you're preaching now. You mentioned this earlier. You're going to be preaching every week now. You were on like a... Right. I was on a once a month schedule at my parish. We are blessed to have three pastors. And so we can rotate two of us are full-time academics. And so we take once a month, but with COVID our church now is meeting in up to four venues for every service. And so Mm. we're employing all clergy. uh, And so this was decided very late last week that if we reach our numbers, we'll overflow into the next space and we need to be running that service. So, uh, for the time being, I'll be a weekly preacher, which I've always so admired weekly preachers, because um, I think that's such a, a weight uh, to prepare well. And so I'll have to discover what that looks like in the midst of regular life uh, to to make that part of one's contemplation. <laughs> well, starting this uh, Advent and then off and on throughout the year, I mean, there may be some exceptions in the high, high holy days, but... Uh, the podcast we're switching, we're doing the epistle lesson, oh, uh, which of course is a sweet spot for you. So yeah. if you want to, if you, you know, yeah, maybe we'll have you back or maybe you'll take a listen, especially when Ken's on. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Anyone. Yeah. So if you were to preach on this text and maybe, maybe you will, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this advent, if you have the freedom to choose, uh, which text you use, I don't know if you do, but, um, what, uh, any ideas? I mean, we talked general preaching advice and I'm glad we did. I, th- I think that was valuable. Uh, but do you have any, uh, where might you go? Like, would you have a kind of angle or focus or theme? Uh, what, what would just be your hunch of where yeah. you'd like to take this if you're going to preach on it this, uh, this December? Yeah. The idea that's, uh, and I was nervous about that question because for me, it almost is these kind of ideas for the lead or kind of the theme come in the magic of the moment of, preparation. I, I get quite yeah. early to read and pray. And and so I don't know exactly where the spirit would lead uh, if, if I do end up preaching this text. But one thing that strikes me is this idea of waiting and patience. I have a sense that many people right now just want 2020 to be over. Like we just want time huh. to keep moving forward uh, because of it's such a hard year and all these bad things have happened. And um I, I have maybe a more general comment. I, I I wrestle sometimes with: Do you speak about kind of current situations, or is everyone so tired of hearing? Yeah, about that's a tough call. You just don't. So I don't know how I would make that call. If I decided that it might be helpful to mention it, I, I think I would tap into this idea of 
what does Christian waiting look like? Because I think mm. probably it does not look like I'm just marking my days. I just am putting my hope in a vaccine or the months ahead. I'm just trying to get through. Instead, I mean, thinking about their situation, how did they wait well? Like, how do you, in the midst of waiting and being patient, still, um, you know, live a life that's worthy? Um, and maybe that's where some of the the striving is. Or, or this this note here in fourteen be found by him at peace without spot or spot or blemish. Mm. What does waiting look like? How could the church be an example of we're not just kind of drudgery getting through until something is better. We're actually trying to discover what God has for us in this time, how he's shaping us uh, and how he wants us to continue to be lights and testimonies of his goodness and patience and righteousness. That might be a direction that I think about. Because I think it's a message I often, I, I do often decide, you know, what are, what is my angle in preaching is kind of what's God working in my own life. Yeah. And one has to be careful because you don't want to kind of put all your business out in front of everyone all the time. But I found usually when I feel like a sermon is effective, it's because God is, is working on that issue. Yeah. And I usually can then speak from a place of, of knowing and, and kind of personal, um, personal experience, even if I don't mention my personal experience, it comes through in what I'm saying. So God's been working on me of, you know, not, don't just wait, don't just get through, but really look, open your eyes to the blessings that I have for you in this time. Yeah. This question eyes of holiness and godliness, maybe it would be another phrase that I'd say. Yeah. That 11, right? Yeah. yeah. Since things are going the way they're going, since all things are to be thus loosed, <laughs> um, right. yes. what, you know, what is fitting? I think it's fun to translate day is fitting. Yes. You know, what, what would be a fitting way? What kind of, what kind of person ought I to be? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a great, that's such a different question than asking either looking back and saying what went wrong, whose fault is it mm-hmm. that 2020 mm-hmm. sucks? Yeah. <laughs> Or looking forward to saying, can't wait till 2021 when everything's going to stop sucking and be better. Right, right. The question is, given what we know and don't know mm-hmm. and the larger scope of things, what kind of person yeah. am I being called to be? What mm-hmm. does a life of holiness and godliness look like now in this place and time? Yeah. Um, and the clues here in the passage of has something to do with this, this, uh, this, combination of waiting and hastening yeah you know and that subtle dance Mm -hmm. uh between those is what it looks like to await the new heavens and new earth Mm -hmm. i think that's great well if you switch to weekly preaching uh you can't wait too long for the uh the holy spirit needs to inspire you on thursday afternoon you don't get to wait (laughs) i'm just kidding i'm just (laughs) no I'm, i'm with you you do have to just at least for me, the way I prep, of course, I always like prepping more than preaching. That's part of why I started this podcast, but <laughs> is to just live with the text, spend a lot of time with it, imagine yeah. it, draw it, internalize it, play mm-hmm. with it, study it as a kind of waiting. It's, it's, it's actually, ironically, it's very much a hastening that waits. It's like mm-hmm. just constantly hanging out in the text and then, yeah. but with a waiting and expectation that an angle will emerge. And then, yeah. and then I just set it aside and run and then I'm off to the races and, and I've already done enough uh-huh. study that I'm ready to go. 
But uh, but often, I got to be honest, when I was a weekly preacher, that was often Sunday morning uh, when the sermon actually came together. That's kind of against the rules. I didn't start prepping Sunday morning. The study was all week, right? But then the actual, you know, now some churches, you know, the luxury to do that, you know, it's important to have a title or have handouts, you know, but I wasn't in a church where I had to do that. So uh, as long as I was ready. Um, again, dear listener, uh, do as I say, not as I do, but, uh, (laughs) if you're an early riser like Amy and I, that also makes it a little easier to pull off that. Right. Right. But there is, there is those weeks when, uh, when you kind of know the angle you want to, but like you say, even what you're saying there is to say that is meaningful to you. And so you can even just start applying it to your life right? and actually by applying it to your life, you'll bump into the illustrations. That's so often true. Yeah. Because, you know, we're doing this on a Tuesday morning, you and I recording this. It's not live. If anyone thinks it is, it's not. uh, And like, if you were preaching this Sunday on this text, right, I could see you, Amy, just trying to apply that a little to your life all week. And like when it goes really bad, you know, (laughs) on Friday, well, at least you have a, I mean, this is Mandy. Of course, she's the master preacher. She's the real preacher. But she goes like. She, when she comes home and tells some crazy story, she always goes, and I just said myself, let the story happen. You know, like, you, like to her, like the world is just filled with illustrations and you just have to not get in their way. Right. Yeah, I like that. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a fun, it, the preaching even more so than teaching and lecturing is such the joy of discovery. Like it's mm. very, very rare that I sit down with the text at the beginning and know where it's going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just kind of the beauty, the uh, creativity of the spirit, um, but it, how, how great it is to be people that get to participate in that. What a gift. Well, great. Well, that's an encouraging word and some fun general and particular ideas. Thanks so much, uh, Amy, for giving an hour of your time to Glad our you. listeners and yes. to the word and I'll just say now, as always, thanks to Todd and Eric for their great production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. And uh, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks most of all to all you listeners uh, for tuning in week in and week out and for uh, promoting the show, passing it along uh, to friends when you get a chance and passing around on social media and all that business. And with that said, we say uh, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.